but it is the end. And so hopefully that doesn't make you feel too sad. 2018 was maybe a good year for you. Maybe it was a bad year for you. Maybe it was an indifferent year for you. Um, you may have seen a lot of change. You may have seen a little change. Uh, lots can happen in a year. It's amazing when we sit here and we can look back in a year and think, what was I doing 2017, the last Sunday in 2017, and what am I doing now? And I think the glory and the awesome part about being a Christian is that I think our lives and what we do is marked by change. That God doesn't keep us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, in the same spot for the rest of our lives. You and I are different because we have a God who's active and engaged in our lives and creating change. We feel conviction and we feel different parts of us being pulled to do ministry. We feel different engagement in ourselves to want to do something for our community. And those things can come and go and change. And I think it's amazing. It's awesome to have that a part of our, of our faith. And I don't think there's any, anything else like that in the world. In the world at all. But it all takes effort. It all takes strength. And so I think that effort is just misunderstood. So that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning. This misunderstood effort. See, to me, effort is something of a little bit of a mystery. I, I don't know if you guys feel this way. I feel like this is way in the way. Like you guys are... There we go. Now there's nothing between us in this section. It's a mystery to me. Effort is a mystery to me because some of you, and I am not one of these people... But some of you have amazing amounts of capacity for effort. Like, you're just able to have effort right away. Whatever you're doing, you have tons of capacity for effort. Some of us, and I, I would lump myself more on this side, it just takes effort to have effort in my life. It's just hard to get going sometimes on something. Uh, once I'm rolling, I'm okay, but it just takes effort to have effort about something. And a few weeks ago, God had me up in the middle of the night and if you know what that feels like, sometimes you, you, you can feel really frustrated at God. Like, it's night. It's sleeping time. It may be day somewhere else, God, but it's night here. But sometimes I think those, those moments when God comes to you and taps you on the shoulder in the middle of the night and you're wide awake and you're laying in bed, it's God calling to you. He's saying, I have something for you. I want to talk to you. I want to spend time with you. And so you can get frustrated and try to roll over or you can give in. Put the effort in, get out of bed, and put the, the warm pants on and the shirt on and whatever you need to do to, to go and spend time with God, and he'll reveal amazing truths to you in the middle of the night. Amazing truths. Because it takes effort to get out of bed. <laughs> it does. And I, I felt like God had something for me, and I, I got up and I, I uh, spent some time praying, and I felt like God said to me, Matt, Matt, don't be afraid of effort. Don't be afraid of effort. And I, I thought it was a little bit of an odd statement for me. I was like, God, I, I mean, I've been learning more and more about what it means to have effort, what it means to have this thing called effort. And I felt like God just said, that's all I'm going to tell you. That's all I want to tell you is just don't be afraid of effort. And so the, night, the, the morning I, I went and looked up what effort meant. And I, I realized I, I didn't have the right definition in my head. Effort is a vigorous and determined attempt at something. 
A vigorous and determined attempt. So God was telling me when he said, Matt, don't be afraid of effort. He was saying, don't be afraid of a vigorous and a determined attempt. And I quickly realized for myself that this wasn't just for me, but it was for us as a community. And so when Tom told me, came to me and said, Matt, do you want to preach on the 30th of December? I said, it's the last Sunday of the month, the, the year. What do you preach on the last Sunday of the year? And I felt like God said, this, this is what I have for us this morning. This is what we need to, to talk about. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about effort. So a little bit, you're going to learn a little bit about me today. And effort, I always think of effort and running, to me, are synonymous. If you're expending effort, you're probably running. If you're running, you're expending effort. And I've never understood one group of people, and I know there's some of you here, and I, I don't want to offend anybody, but there's one group of people I really don't get when it comes to running. And it's those of us among us who are willing and able and desirous to spend money to run a marathon. <laughs> the 26.2 miles that make up a marathon. And I'm not one of those people who hates running or exercise. I would just rather pay, play competitive soccer one man down for 90 minutes straight than try to like run, just run, just run for one hour, for two hours, for three hours, for four hours, for five hours. It just doesn't sound appetizing to me at all. And it just surprises me that so many people decide to pay to do this year after year. Grandma's happens and it's 8,000 people. That's a lot of people to make that decision. So let, let, think about this with me for a second. What, what happens during a marathon to your body? First, you'll finish about two to three centimeters shorter than when you started. So you start one height, you end another height, and it's all because of fluid loss in your body. So you're shorter when you, if you want to shrink. Run marathons. Your body recovers. You, you gain the two, two or three centimeters back. But you, at, by the time you're finishing, so the, the runners that are finishing the marathon, however long it takes, their body is literally starving. There's starvation happening in your body. I mean, no thank you. I like food. I like feeling full. And, and, but you're starving. Your body is starving for the calories it needs to survive. Your kidneys are under so much stress during a marathon that 82% of runners, 82% finish with, a finish with a stage one acute kidney injury. So you're, you're literally killing your body to make this happen. <laughs> Makes no sense to me whatsoever. It sounds like way too much effort to me. But I'll give it to you. Because there's one group of people that makes even less sense to me than the people who decide to run. And it's these people. You're going to see a picture here in just a second. They're called the Cliff Bar Pace Team. You may have seen these people. You may not. But they run marathons throughout the United States, including Grandma's Marathon. And you'll see that she's, this person, the, the Cliff Bar Pace Runner, she's carrying a sign that says four hours and 15 minutes. And so she has volunteered to run this race and run it in such a way 
that she will finish at four hours and 15 minutes, plus or minus, less than a minute. That's amazing to me. How do you do that? So not only does this runner who's carrying this flag, not only does she have to deal with all the things that I talked about, finishing the race three, inches, three centimeters shorter, her body being in starvation, and that she probably has a kidney injury. She has all those things against her. She's decided to finish the race at a specific time. Go figure. Kayla and I, the first time we went on, I went on to see Grandma's Marathon, people finishing. The, we went on about the three-hour mark, and the three-hour and 15-minute person, there was a guy, I mean, he was three hours and 15 minutes on the nose. And I went, what is going on here? How did he do that? And then, and then just a little bit later, the three hours and 20-minute person came by, and she was a few seconds ahead of her time. And I started just like in awe. I looked at Kayla, and I said, are they giving these things out to people who are running by, like a mile out? Like, how do they do that? And I started doing research, and I started realizing, no, they, they're carrying this, this time the whole race, the whole time that they are running. So it's not just random people. These are people who have decided to run this race for the benefit of others. The whole goal and the whole purpose of the Cliff Bar Pace Team is that they run, and you know whether or not you will finish before that time if you're before them or behind them. So they run specifically for the benefit of the other runners in the race. It's incredible to me. I, read, I watched an interview with one of these Cliff Bar pace runners, and they said, the guy said, running a marathon for other people is the most gratifying experience I've ever had in my life. And I thought to myself, we should be like this. Christians should be like this. We should be like the Cliff Bar Pace team of humanity. That we train, we expend effort, we work, and people around us tr can trust that if they train and are running with us, they will finish the race with us in heaven. And I don't think it's an arrogant thing. You don't have to sit out there and think, I'm so good. I'm so great. But listen to, to what Paul says about himself. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If Paul can be this confident in his life, you can be this confident in your life. That you can look at people around you and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I want to talk today about what it looks like to become a pace runner in our lives. What effort needs to happen in our lives that will bring us to a place where we can become a pace runner for those around us in faith. And so we're going to look at Matthew 20. If you want to pull out your Bibles, your cell phones, your tablets, or look on with your neighbor if you really want to not expend too much effort this morning, um, let them do the work for you. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 20. And I think just like effort is misunderstood, I think that this passage, this parable is misunderstood. And I think it's misunderstood in three ways. So here, here listen to me. 
we have to understand about these verses that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the Pharisees or the masses that followed him or the even greater masses that he fed, like the 5,000. He's talking specifically to his disciples. So this parable is not about people getting saved or people coming into the kingdom. This is about the disciples. It's about their effort and how they expend effort. The second thing that I think trips us up in this, this, this parable is there's a verse at the very end that says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And I think we have a negative relationship with those words, first and last, last and first. And I can tell you that by experience that we have a negative uh, connotation of first and last because as a Zimmer, I can pretty much guarantee you, look at the last page. My name is on the last page. And in grade school, first and second grade, like the end of the line, the best day of the school year was opposite day when Zimmer's got to go first and A's got to go last. Those, those of you who are in the middle don't understand this because you were in the same place no matter what. You were just in the middle. But if you were the last, you understand. So we have a, I think we have a negative feeling about this, that the first shall be last. Oh, why would I spend so much effort if the first shall be last? And I think we, we have to look at this statement in the context of Jesus. I don't think Jesus was, this first last business, was him being negative to those of us who came to Christ early in our lives or give of ourselves. Because he was. He was the first among all. And he came to be last, to serve. And so if Jesus did it, and it wasn't a negative thing for him, it's not a negative thing for us. I think that this statement, the first shall be last thing, is a full-throated announcement that no one, nowhere, no how, deserves heaven outside of the grace of God. We all, we all don't deserve it. So whether you think you're the first, don't matter. It's not deserved at all. The last thing that I think we need to think about as we read this, this parable is ask ourselves this question. What is the mission of the master? What is he doing in these verses? Does he try to employ so many people as possible because he really thinks people need a job? Is he uh, teaching the people who came first a lesson? Is he out there just, these people, they need a lesson. So I'm going to get them to come first and then I'm going to teach them a lesson. Or is it to harvest as much crop as possible? What's the mission of the master. So I think if we can keep those three things in focus as we read these verses, I think it'll really help us discover what Jesus is on about in Matthew 21 through 16. So let's read it together. I'm reading from the ESV, so your version might be a little different, but here's what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. That's important. Whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said, they, said to, they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
<clears throat> excuse me. And when evening comes, the owner, excuse me, I lost my place. And he said to them, because no one hired him, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came through, they, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last workers only an hour, worked only an hour, and you have made, us, you've made them equal to us, who have, been born, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did we not agree? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it speaks to us. Thank you that it's alive and well in our hearts. Lord, that when we read your word, it comes alive. Lord, I ask that you would open us up to conviction, you'd open us up to truths that you want to speak to us, and that we would not be afraid of the things you're calling us to in this next year. That the effort you desire to have us expel for other people would be worth it to us. And that you would be glorified in your name. Amen. So in the Word of God, I, th I think we can pretty much draw a good conclusion that effort must be expended in some way in our faith. That effort is a part of the experience of being a Christian. I'll give you a few examples, a few verses real quick. You don't have to turn there. But James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. You show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That sounds a lot like effort to me. That there's effort expended here. Another one, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such great clouds of a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Run. There's an there's a equation here again. Remember my, like me, Running equals effort, right? Running equals effort. So here, running, the word running, effort is involved. Effort is involved in faith. Again, another one, 1 Timothy 4.8. And this isn't even scratching the surface of all the verses that, that talk about uh, work and effort that comes along with Christianity. But 1 Timothy 4.8 says, well, for, while the bod for bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Direct correlation. Bodily training is great. Godly, godliness is great. So there's a, there, the writer of the Bible, 1 Timothy 4.8, making, he's making a comparison that effort must be expended. And I, and I don't think we should... Get off on this train and, and, and get too far because remember, the first shall be last. So grace is the key here. You receive your faith by grace, not by works. And I think that's very important for us to understand. The effort is not the thing that makes you pure and holy. 
The effort is not the thing that brings you into relationship with Christ. It's the thing that comes out of your relationship with Christ. Effort comes out of the grace we've received. At the very end of Matthew 20, verse 16, it says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And I think that that's important. The generosity of Christ and how good he is. And I think that's wonderful. And so we don't, we don't receive because we've, we, we've earned it. We've received it because he's good. And so that's, that's important. But effort must be expended. And so if we stopped at this grace part, if, if we just lived our lives and we received the grace of salvation, but didn't expend any effort to help others, and any effort to, to do something in the kingdom, I think we'd be missing out a lot of what the mysterious and great, glorious nature of the, the salvation is. So you didn't get saved for your benefit. You got saved because God loves you to help other people find him. And I think that's really important. We benefit from the grace of God. Absolutely we do. It's wonderful that we have a salvation that's assured, that we don't have to wonder, are we in or are we out? If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and believe in him above all else, that he came and died on the cross for your sins, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, you have, you have the grace of salvation. But that salvation, if it's just bottled up inside of you, is, is no good. Because it, that, that grace that's so amazing should come out. It should explode forth. And so if it's, if, if it's inside, you will have failed to understand what salvation is really about. And so I think that's important to understand that effort is part of our faith. And this is where Matthew 20 comes in. Because you see, he's talking to his disciples. Remember the disciples, the people that followed him and came first they were, they were with him and they were asking questions and, and wondering why, why Jesus was teaching the way he was. And so I think Matthew 20 is all about how we are when we expend effort. Whether you're an employee, whether it's here at church, whether it's on the worship team or in the nursery or in the coffee shop or leading Sunday school or what, what have you, helping church happen, or it's how you are in your marriage and treating your spouse or how you treat friendships with that around you. I think this verse is all about the effort that, is, that we need to expend. See, Jesus served others in this kingdom, was telling the disciples that they were going to serve others in this world. And so why would we think that our role in this world is any different than the, the disciples? God's called us to be disciples. God's called us to follow him for all he is. And that means that we're called to serve. We're called to be the least among all. And I think we can just get caught up in this faith, thinking that the whole thing is about writing our sins. I think this is really serious. Like, writing what what we see in ourselves and the sin that we know that so easily pervades who we are, we can get so focused as Christians on that. And, and I understand why. I, I can get that way. I can get so focused 
on making sure that, that I don't sin or don't have things in my life that are stumbling blocks for myself, for my faith. And, and I, I think those things are very important for us to work through. Very important for us to, to think about and to process. But if that's where the effort in your faith stops, you're missing the biggest part of the, the joy of our salvation. You're missing the biggest part of what God has for us. Let's not sin so that grace abounds. Let's not do that. But let us run the race with perseverance together. I think we should be the Cliff Bar team of faith in our community. That your neighbors, as they get to know you, if they come to faith, that they would say, man, if I could only be like my neighbors. And if I like them, I know, I know that my faith is secure. I know that I've made it with them in faith. And so I think that's what it's all about. That's what Matthew 20 is all about, is how do we expend effort appropriately? How do we serve in our communities and honor God in what we do? And so here's my thought. I'm going to give you three things that I think we really need to do this year to expend effort for our faith, whether, I'm going to say anywhere. I'm going to go make a bold statement. I think these three things will help you expend effort everywhere better. That's a bold statement. But I like bold. Being bold is good. And so I I think if you can take these three principles and apply them to your life today, I think you will expend effort in new ways, in more efficient ways, and you will see great increase this year in the things that God brings about in your life. Okay? So huge, I've set the bar really high, so hopefully these things are really good. (laughs) But I think they are. And I'll tell you what, they work. work. And so here they are. How to expend effort more, uh, more efficiently or better this year for the kingdom, but also for the other places in your life. One, one, have a growth mindset. So you've probably heard this statement. If you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you won't. Has anybody heard this statement? If you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you won't. And I believe the negative side of that statement is absolutely true. If you don't believe you can do it, it is not possible. You won't achieve the goal that you have if you believe it's impossible to to make. But I'm not quite sure if the believe you can, you can is 100% right. I think it sets us up for failure. Here's why. If I tell you, if you believe you can, you can, and you fail, for any reason at all, in that thing that we said, you believe you can, you can, now you're a failure. You're unable to do it. And what good is this statement now that I've already proven that it's not true? I want you, and if you're taking notes, put this on there, under under a growth mindset. But start believing in the power of not yet. Not yet. See, I think we can think that inside of our lives, everything is set. Our intelligence is set. Our capacities are set. What we do is set. There's, There's all these set things in our lives that make us who we are. And I think that that's not true. And I'll use our our lead pastor as an example. 
If Tom believed with all his heart that his job and his being was a fiber plant worker, he would have never become a lead pastor. There was not yet in his life that God had. And if he had believed with all his heart, that's all I'm supposed to be is a fiber plant worker, we wouldn't have Pastor Tom Miller at Central Assembly preaching to us week in and week out and leading us in our church. And so I think this power, the power of not yet is super important. You may have an issue in your life or something that's going on that you feel like is impossible. And instead of saying it's impossible, say not yet. I, I did this with my daughter. So we, she really wanted to cook bacon with us. And it's tasty. Bacon is good. Um, and so I thought, well, it's a hot plate. I don't know. Is this really safe? And I finally decided she wants to do it. Let's do it. And the first time she threw a piece of bacon on the thing, on the, the, the griddle, it didn't fall right. It didn't land flat. And she got super angry, right? We do this in our lives. Don't laugh at my daughter. You do this too. <laughs> it's just different. It's different things, but you do it too. And she got super angry and she started getting angry. And I started saying, you just didn't get it yet. We'll work together. You're going to do it. And so we, we went, did another piece and it didn't go quite right. And I said, almost, you're getting closer. Not yet, not yet. And finally, by the third or fourth piece, she was laying them down flat and having a good time. And I completely stopped encouraging her. I, I didn't encourage her through the, the making it. I encouraged her through the not yet parts. And I'll tell you what, she had a good time, and it, she got through the hard part of not yet. Yeah. And that's the hard part for our lives and growth, is the not yet part that happens to us. This is, I think, the, the key for marathoning, is you can't just go out, start training, and go, I'm going to run 26.2 miles today. You'd have a heart attack, probably. <laughs> you have to embrace, when you're a marathon runner and training, you have to embrace not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet, but I'm training. We're going to get there. Not yet, but I'm going to get there. Not yet. In fact, most marathoners, from what I understand, don't even run 26.2 miles when they're training. And so they don't even know when they get to the, the, the start line, when the gun goes off. Can I make it? I don't know. We'll find out. Not yet. Haven't made it yet. But embrace that part of, of, of growth to this year. Not yet opens up the world of possibilities. Your talents, your capacities, your knowledge are not set values in your life. You could be one great class or experience away from amazing growth and potential in your life. Embrace that, not yet. The second thing I think we can do to really highlight growth and effort this year uh, is to focus on the master's goals. We covered this a little bit earlier in, with Matthew 20. What, what was the master's purpose? What was he doing in the verses? And one of the things that just stands out to me when I read those verses is how, how little the people who were hired first cared about what the master really cared about. It, the master had a, had a plan, and the people he hired weren't with him. I think focusing on the master's goals is a game changer in your world. Because it's easy to, to want to do our own things, to be our own boss, and to do our own, go our own way. But if we can get on board at your work, at your house, at church, with the master's plan, I believe you will see amazing 
effort in your, in your life. And not just effort, like I'm working really hard, but effort that goes somewhere this year. Think about if you, you had your, your boss's eyes when you worked. How much more of an asset you would be to your job if you looked at things the way your boss looks at things. And I'm not saying we should deify them or make them greater, but Matthew 20 says, and I think shows us, that we should, we should focus on the master's goal. So here, here's my thing here at Central Assembly. If you can hear my voice, which hopefully you can, whether you're in the coffee shop right now or you're in here, you have a mission. There is a plan here at Central Assembly. You've seen it on the wall. Tom, it's, Tom says it all the time, and it's not because we, and I say it, not because it really warms our hearts when we say it and we feel really good because it sounds really smart and really good for us to just say it, but I believe it's because we have, it's a mission here at Central Assembly. Can anybody, does anybody know it? Sharing our story to connect others with God's story. And so if you're here, if this is your home church, if this is a place that you've said, I am a central assemblier. That was a mouthful. If you're a central assemblier, that I want you to, to focus on the master's plan for us. And the master's plan, and this is not my words, this is given to God, God given to Tom for us, is this. Share your story to connect others with God's story. Be about that that mission in your life, here at church, in your job. As a central assemblier, focus on the master's goal for us as a community. And I think you'll find amazing, amazing growth in your life, in effort. The common map program, which you might have heard of, might not have heard of, but at the beginning, there's a statement. And I think it... it it speaks well of, of what can happen or what happens in our church and in our communities uh, when we, we focus together on something. It says, things that require maximum effort, maximum effort, indeed require collaboration, hard work, and determination. And let's have maximum effort this year. And if, we had need, if that's the case, if maximum effort is needed, then let's be about the same mission. Let's work together. Let's collaborate. Let's share our story to connect others with God's story. So focus on the master's plan. The last one is have grit. Have grit. So what is grit? What, is, what do I mean when I say grit? And it's not just sand that gets between your toes or anything like that. Grit is this. It's passion and perseverance over a long period of time. Have passion and perseverance over a long period of time. The complaint of the, the first workers were they were sent out into the fields to work all day in the heat of the day. And that was their biggest complaint. They agreed to the cost. They agreed to the, the payment. And then they said, well, you made us work all day. And I, Have grit. Have passion and perseverance for the long term. When God puts you through it, I don't think it's wrong to say it's hard, but have passion for what, what God's given you this year. Have perseverance. Run the race this year. Have grit. 
See, effort is not about getting everything right. It's not about being right. It's about working out our salvation together. Grit is the thing that makes us as individuals, as individuals, a community. It's the thing that ties us together, having passion and perseverance for a long period of time. So again, what can you do this year to expend effort in a maximum way? Embrace a growth mindset. Embrace not yet. Focus on the master's goal. And have grit, which is passion and perseverance over the long term. That, these are the three things that I think you need to be a cliff bar pace runner in your life. To carry a flag with a timestamp on it and cross the finish line at the time that you have and impress some silly guy at the finish line who has no clue how marathons work. That's how you do it. That's how we become a pace team for our community. Embrace growth. Focus on the master's goals. And have grit. So how do you do that this year? What does that look like for us? For those of you who are listening to me. And, and here's, my, here's my idea. And, and it might be kind of a silly idea. I don't know. But I think it really plays out really well in our community. We have small groups. Sunday morning, Sunday school, take five. And then twice a year right now, we have connect groups that happen in our, in our community. If you've never attended a connect group at all, you've never gone, never been to one in 